All right, so I'm going to read uh, Ephesians 4. You know, I have ESV, actually, so maybe I'll just read it off the screen here. Uh, so I'm going to read uh, 4, 1 through... Sixteen. Okay. So here we go. Uh, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ." till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. All right, let's pray. Uh, Lord, just thank you for this beautiful passage about how the church is to function. And God, as as we study your word this morning, Lord, would you just bring insight to us as a whole and individually, how this applies to us and also just the the truth that stands uh, throughout time about how you want your church to operate and function. And God, just I pray that um, with all the studying I've done for this, I pray that you would give me uh, your words this morning for us, that that I would um, equip those in this room for what you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, Rory's been teaching through Revelation, and uh, he's out of town, and so I'm teaching. And so I, I've been thinking a lot about, um, you know, I became an elder like a year ago, and uh, I've been thinking a lot about how the, how the church is supposed to function. And, uh, and so I, this, this one phrase in here, uh, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, that one's kind of been brewing in me, and so... Uh, just decided, you know, I, I think I'm going to explore that. What does that entail? And so I listened to a lot of messages this week on Ephesians chapter 4 and, um, and just kind of want to share with you guys uh, kind of what I think God's design for church is and with a sensitivity to the culture we live in and the time and the s- 
style of how America, you know, we're Americans in this room, and so how, how it relates to us. But, but also there's a portion just to, to stand back and just look and appreciate, regardless of what culture you live in. And so uh, sort of like how uh, there's a preview for a movie, I kind of want to give you kind of like a, a three-minute snapshot of kind of what I'm going for today, and then, uh, and then we'll go in and just kind of start looking at every verse, okay? And so you might have noticed I have a couple stools up here. So um, there's this, there's this uh, phrase in here where he says, and this is something, as I've listened to several teachings on this, this is something that everybody feels the need to address, where he says, uh, let's see, verse 12, 13... It talks about being perfect here. Sorry, let me get to this. Where is it? 13. To a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Maybe, maybe it's not on this. I have ESV here, and maybe it's... Yeah, yeah, so it's not in ESV. Bring up 13 on the screen. And it says this phrase, to a perfect man... And so if you were just to look at that and take it out of context, like, oh, so God wants us to be perfect. You know, and although he does, you know, uh, that, that teaching that somehow as, as you mature as a Christian, you become perfect, that's just totally not in the New Testament. Um, that's a heresy. Okay? And, uh, and so, so knowing that, what is he talking about here? And as, as I looked into this, uh, go to 14. 15, sorry. So as we're growing up, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So what Paul is doing here as he's going through verses 1 through 16 is he's describing how we as individuals combine together to be Christ. And so there's this this metaphor, 1 through 16, there's this metaphor that Paul is bringing out that we are the body of Christ. And if, you're, if you've been a Christian for very long, you've heard that metaphor before. Um, but like what he's actually describing here is not that an individual would become perfect, but that this goal of the entire body of Christ together, not, not these individual Americans you know, who do their own thing, and we have these you know, godly Christian Christ-like people in the church, but the entire church to the outside world is sort of an aroma of Christ or a fragrance of Christ or is a body of people who, if, if you're not a Christian and you look at this organization of people, that you actually are seeing Jesus. Not that any one of us is perfect, but that, that as we grow together as the church, that we together are like the body of Christ on the earth for other people in the world to see and taste and smell and feel and hear and get to know what Jesus is like. And so the goal of Paul is that the church would be this beautiful community of people who form a body and that it's a good, perfect body in the way that it operates and functions and that the head of that body is Jesus Christ himself. So that's, that's the metaphor in this whole passage. Okay, Another metaphor... Um, bring up the Ephesians 2 passage, 18 through 22. 
So I'm just going to read this passage to you as well. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Keep going. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now remember that phrase. Because I'm going to talk about that phrase in a different way that just happens to relate later. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Notice that it doesn't say the foundation of the pastors. It doesn't say the foundations of the evangelists. It's only apostles and prophets right there. But having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together... Okay, so the church, here's another metaphor. So we have this metaphor that the church is the body of Christ. Okay, and I think we hear that and we kind of don't appreciate just how deep and rich that metaphor is. But here's another metaphor for the church. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are being built. He's not saying this to an individual. He's saying this to the church in Ephesus. You are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And so, there's this metaphor that the the church is a body. And then there's this metaphor that the church is a temple. Okay, And in Peter, uh, I didn't get the reference for this, but in Peter it talks about how each one of us is a living stone. Okay, And that we're these living stones that are assembled together to make this temple. You know, and the temple has like tons of like, you know, um, meaning from the Old Testament. The temple was where the presence of God dwelt. And so now in the New Testament, there's no temple that you go to to worship God. But the church, which is not a building, the church is a group of people who are like a temple together. When we're together, we're like a temple um, where God's presence is and where God is actively doing things to uh, shine or be a light or be salt to the earth. Okay? And so I have these little Lego blocks. Okay? I don't know if you saw these up here. This is a Lego. Okay? You step on this, instant death. Okay? Only in bare feet. My wife, my wife broke her foot. I think it was a Duplo, wasn't it? It was a Lego. It was a Duplo. But still, she broke her foot on a Lego. Okay? There's this one, I'm a biology teacher, there's this one spot in your fifth metatarsal, your outside foot bone, that doesn't give very much blood, and, um, and so it's more prone to break, it's not as, it's not as uh, what's the word, dense, okay, it doesn't have the bone density that it should, so she steps on one of these bad boys, and I think she'd already hurt her foot, she steps on one of these bad boys, snaps her fifth metatarsal, okay, and then, being the good husband I am, I went to the neat repeat is that what that place is called and i found one of those casts you know because it's like do you know how much those casts cost those like walking boots they're like five hundred dollars okay i don't i don't know they're a lot you know and so i bought one for her i'm like jet honey it's just a crack in the bone should be no big deal just wear this thing for six weeks she wore it for four weeks didn't listen to her husband the the i don't know what you want to be doctor so then she steps on a ladder, same spot, snaps the bone all over again, and the doctor tells her, so then I'm like, okay, maybe you should go to the doctor. Doctors are expensive. So, um, and he's like, the first doctor she talked, you know how some doctors have a good bedside manner? This doctor did not have a good bedside manner. 
And he was an orthopedic surgeon, you know. And uh, he's like, oh, you should have come to me the first time. Now I'm going to have to put a screw in it. So they, why am I telling you this story? I have this picture in my classroom of a screw in someone's foot. It's her foot. It's an x-ray. And my students come up to me and they're like, how does, what's this? And I'm like, oh, yeah, my wife, she stepped on a screw. You know, and the kids, 16-year-olds, they don't, anyway. <laughs> Legos. Okay, let's get on with it. So, I asked my kids last night to build a temple. Okay? So here's the temple. Okay? You are a Lego. Okay? Maybe you're just this little two-pronged Lego. Okay? And so you look at this four-pronged Lego, and you're like, I'm not a, what could I add to the temple? You know? And you're like, this is Rory. You know, he's a four-pronged Lego. (laughs) Wow. You know? Here's Johnny, just a two-pronged Lego. Okay? And maybe you're a four-pronged Lego. There's different sizes, right? So you, you are a Lego. And this is the temple of living stones that you're supposed to be a part of. Okay? I would say that this is God's design for the church. Okay? So I'm going to talk about this kind of... For, I'm going to compare this today. And then... This is not a mega church. This is just a regular church. Okay? And then there's the mega church. This is the mega church. Okay? So I'm going to compare God's model to America's model for church. Here's the mega church. Okay? It's going to fall over. That's okay. It should. Okay. Where does this Lego fit in the mega church? Anybody know? Doesn't. Good news. Here's the megachurch model. Oh, congratulations, Legos. You're Christians now. Okay. This is Joel Olstein's church right here. Okay. This is God's design. All right. So what we're going to look at today, we're going to go through, we're going to go through Ephesians 4. And we're going to look at God's design for church, and then what Americans have done with church. Now, this church over here, it's got some really fancy pieces. You know, it's got several staff members. It's got these screws. There's probably like 25 of them. Okay, they're stainless steel, I think. You know, that's nice. And then it's got this nice wooden plate. It's got some padding on the top, so when you're there for a while, your butt doesn't hurt, you know? But, like, you look at this mega church, and it's like, where do I fit in this thing? The only place you fit is inside. You just show up to the mega church. They preach a sermon for, what is this? They preach a sermon for 20 minutes. Okay? They have a nice, powerful worship set for 40 minutes. And then you're gone. It's over. You know? And then, so you just go in, come out. That's it. See you next week. Okay? And um, so, let's get into the text now. So, verse, verse 1, Paul says, therefore. So, I'm going to be, this, I think this message today is mostly for people who are already Christians. You know, and if you're here and you're like trying out Christianity, you want to know what this Christianity stuff is about, that's awesome. We are so glad you're here. Um, but I think today's message is mostly going to be a message for those of us who are already believers. And so, when he says, therefore, in chapter 4, verse 1, He says, I therefore beseech you. Okay, this therefore 
is referring back to the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. Okay? And there's really, a, there's really a transition in the book of Ephesians from the first three chapters to the second three chapters. And that's kind of how the, the thought of the book is divided. And so the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are um, just for people to understand what it means to be a Christian. Okay? And so like Ephesians 2.8, like one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, you know, it was the first thing, like when I first became a Christian, I'm like, yeah. That's it. That's how it works, okay? And it's by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast, right? And so Christianity, to become a Christian, is not an act of of your will. It is not an act of obedience. It is just by faith you believe in the message that Jesus took your sin. And, and that he'd give you in return his righteousness. Okay? So everything else I talk about today, like this is, not a, this is not a message today about how to be good enough for God. Okay? You're not good enough for God. That's why you are saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. You are not good enough. Okay? But Jesus is, and he's, he's now made you righteous. You can come into the presence of God apart from your own works and be right with God because of Jesus, okay? That's the first three chapters of Ephesians. But now what I'm going to talk about is what he says here, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, okay? So if you're a Christian, okay, and you've been born again by the Spirit of God, and you are a new creation, okay, there is a consistent tendency in the church to not walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. You get saved, you're born again, you're a new creation, you're supposed to live and walk in newness of life, and you go back to the old habits. You go back to the old lifestyle. And so Paul is now saying, hey guys, you're saved. You're in your heaven. You're there, okay? But you're still on the earth. And there's going to be this struggle to just not turn out the way you should, okay? And so that's what this message is about. I want to exhort you be the way that Jesus created you to be, okay? Because we live in this culture where that's not what is going to be the tendency. You know, even like, even like us who like teach the Bible, like Pastor Rory, the eight-pronged block, he could still not walk worthy of the calling, okay? And you're just a four-pronged block. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe you're a 16-pronged block, okay? And so... So let's see, how can we walk worthy of this calling, okay? So um, one of the first things, like what does it look like? What does Paul mean when he says walk worthy? Man, that sounds cool, doesn't it? I want to walk worthy. Okay, so what does it mean to walk worthy? So he goes straight into it. So verse 2, okay? Be lowly and gentle. So he's saying be humble, okay? Don't think so highly of yourself. And he's talking specifically to Christians in the church about how to be the church, okay? So here's, here's a tendency that I see. This is long-suffering. So be patient, be gentle, be lowly, bear with one another in love, okay? Here's a tendency of Christians even. We, we just, just get on each other's nerves, you know, in the church. We get on each other's nerves. We see the way the pastor is doing something, and we think, I could do a better job than that, you know? 
we, we, uh, we, oh, there's a girl, and I'm not a girl, I don't know if you know that, uh, I don't, I don't always have the same mentality as my wife about things, I have my own problems, you know, they're not girl problems, they're boy problems, but, so, I shouldn't even talk right now, this is going to turn out bad, maybe there's some social things with girls that tend to happen more than with boys, okay, maybe some of those social things that happen are kind of dysfunctional, Maybe you should stop thinking everything that you think is right. Maybe you should be lowly and humble and patient and bear with one another in love instead. You know, there's some of that that goes on. And with boys, it tends to be more of a confrontation, you know. And I mean, guys, I've been here for like only six years. Six years I've been here. Like 90% of you have probably been here for less time than that. Okay, what is wrong with the American church? That people just jump around church to church. Oh, I don't like the way they do this. Oh, they have this church leadership strategy. Oh, they think this about something, you know? And it's like, we get so worked up in the church about all our little doctrinal things. And look at what Paul says. He says, with all lowliness, gentleness, be patient, bear with one another in love. Okay, and then he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So he's about to say, guys, look at everything you have in common. Go to verse 3. There is one body. There's one spirit. There's one hope, one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And he's just like, you guys have all this stuff in common. And you fight about the dumbest things. You know, there's churches who believe... And I'm, I'm not like trying to put them down, but there's churches who believe that you shouldn't use musical instruments on Sunday morning. And I don't know if, I, don't, I didn't go and study church history, but you look at some of the things churches historically have divided about, it is so dumb. What are we doing? Now, if there's like 500 people and you're like, hey, I think if we had five, five 100 person churches, we could do a better job. So we're going to kind of, you know, but that's, you look at American church history, just in the last 400 years. You know, or 300 years, however long America's been around. And uh, it's just like, there's so many denominations, you know, and it's just over the dumbest things, okay? And like people, they get a little bit of knowledge, and they get so puffed up with pride, and they just think, oh, I've got it figured out. This is the way to do it. And you know what, you know, as I've, I've been a Christian for 17 years, I think now, and I've watched a lot of stuff go on for 17 years. And you know, the, the longer you're, I mean, you guys could agree with this. The longer you're alive on the earth, the better perspective you have on things. You know, like I look at my kids, Eli was, was we're, we're doing some flooring and he's using a screwdriver, right? And it's a star bit. And it, it's like, and he's coming at an angle. I'm like, no, Eli, get your body weight over. Like I've just done it. And I know, because I've done it so many times, the right way to do it, right? And it's like, you get this guy who's like been a Christian for like three years. And he's like, oh, Calvinism. I've got to figure it out. You know, and then, it's, and then it's this big old blow up thing, you know? And it's like, dude, I was like 19 and I thought Calvinism was the thing. I'm 35 now. Listen to me. I've been through a few things, you know? And it's like, but here's the thing. The longer I think... And many of you, I think, could testify this. The longer you're a Christian, the more you realize these little divisive issues that people get all worked up about, 
they're not that important. You know? And here's, I didn't get the verse up here, but in James, the book of James, James says, oh, you think you're wise? The wisdom that's from above is peaceable, it's humble, it's willing to yield. Willing to yield. Now there's some wisdom. You're the cat, you're this guy who's, you know, been a Christian for three years and you're so excited about Calvinism or whatever thing, you know, you know what? Give it 10 more years and you're going to realize your little Calvinism thing's not that important, okay? And you know what is important? Loving your brothers in Christ and having unity, okay? And being willing to yield. There's some wisdom, okay? Willing to yield. And so let's go back to verse three. Paul's talking to the church and he says, keep unity. Dude, Paul's probably like 65, at this point, he's been a Christian for like 30 years. He's seen some things. And he doesn't get into his letter and he doesn't go off about these important doctrines that no one else is teaching and my way is the only way. He's, but he's encouraging the church, keep unity. You know, have unity. Be one. Okay, let's keep going. I've been, I gotta hurry up. I didn't start a timer, you guys. Let me just go off for a second. Okay. <laughs> there are churches... I grew up in a church. Their, their, their service is one hour. Okay? This is the church I grew up in. The service is one hour. Okay? There's like 25 minutes of worship music. Okay? And then there's like 10 minutes of announcements. And you got, what is that? 35 minutes? You got 25 minutes left. There's a 20 minute teaching. And then there's a five minute benediction. Okay? I don't even know what that means. It's like you say goodbye. And like that is called. Like the 20 minute sermon, that's a sermonette. Okay? Just a nice little sermon. And you know who sermonettes are for? They're for Christianettes. Just a nice little baby Christian. Okay? And if you're, if you, like, just so you know, if you, like, Rory, I, bet I do the video thing up there sometimes. Not anymore. Thank you, Ted. And uh, Rory, sometimes lately, he's been going for like an hour and five minutes. You know? And I'm like looking at the time. I don't care, you know? But I'm like, oh, look at all these nice people that are here, Rory. They're going to get upset. You know what? Let's make them upset. Because children's ministry is getting full. You know? Like, if you want a sermonette, if you want to go to a church where it's this nice little 20-minute sermonette, this is not the church for you. Okay? Like, American Christianity has been trying this. Joel Olstein. I mean, it works. Look how big and nice the church is. Look how many people show up and fit in the hole. You know? Like, it works. It works to a point, but like, look at the culture. It's just crumbling. Like if we just preach these little sermonettes on Sunday and we have no grit. Do you guys like that word? Grit. Yeah. Be a man. Be a woman. Have some grit. Like let's have, let's have our culture here at Calvary Chapel, because this is Calvary Chapel's culture. Through the word. Chuck Smith, that guy who started Calvary Chapel, not that, not that he's got it all figured out, you know, but he went verse by verse through the Bible for like an hour and a half. And all these hippies would show up and listen for an hour and a half. And now we're like, we got to have the video on the screen and everything. Our culture, man, this is a weird time of the human history. Like the amount of entertainment necessary to keep people engaged, you know? Like, it is going to be a thing here at Calvary Chapel in Primeville. We might teach for 60 minutes, you know, and that's a good thing. 
Because you need that. And I need that. You know? And so, like, I apologize. I have no idea how long I've been going for. And I'm barely getting started here. And I'll cut it off eventually. But have some grit. You know? Have some grit. If you want to be a little Christianette, there's plenty. There's a guy used to go to church here. Good friend of mine. Love him to death. And he's going to this other church in town now. Or not in town, but in the area. And, and I asked him, oh, yeah, how's that going? And he, you know what he said to me? He said, yeah. Like, I think I asked him, like, what's church like there? And he's like, oh, it's safe. You know? Isn't that an interesting word to describe a church service? It's really safe. Like, they're not going to talk about sin. They're not going to tell you to stop following these idols in your life. They're not going to teach for 60 minutes out of the book of Revelation and pretend, like, pretend, sorry, believe that this stuff is true. They're just going to teach you these nice little sermonettes, how to be a nice person. Oh, it's Thanksgiving. How to be thankful. You know, oh, how to be a parent. Oh, you know, how to, how to do money. How's, what's God's way for money? I mean, those are all good things. But, like, as Christians, that's just, that's just scratching the surface. You know, like, and now the world we live in, you can go listen to Dave Ramsey. Okay? You don't need to hear on a Sunday morning, how do, what's God's method for money? Like, go listen to Dave Ramsey. He's great. I don't know if he's great. Don't, don't quote me on that. But, you know, but, like, we need to get into the Bible and really, verse by verse, expose it. This is truth, guys. And we need to feed you. And you're going to read this. The pastor teacher's job is to equip you with the Bible. Teach you from the Bible. And so that is the culture here. We believe that is important. Sorry. I just went off. I just went off. So what verse am I on? Uh, Unity. Unity is important. Verse 6. Let's go to verse 7. I'm on verse. What verse am I on? Okay. Okay, so, so, yeah, there's, okay, so, now, there's this unity that Paul is speaking about, right? But then, he's also going to describe, there's this diversity that exists in the church, okay? And so he says, but to each one of us, grace was given. Now, when I hear the word grace, I think like, oh, like, like, forgiveness, but that's not what this is talking about. Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's Gift. So in this sense, bring up the Romans passage, Romans 12. It says the same thing in a different way in Romans. For as we have many members in one body, this is another passage to read if you're interested in this topic. This is about the church. But all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Okay, so there's that body metaphor. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. And then it says, let us use them, and I'll probably bring up the rest of that later. So, great, God's grace isn't just forgiveness. God's grace is also, he's given you gifts, okay? And there's like debate, I remember when I was a kid in church hearing this, oh, do you have one gift or many? Of course you probably have more than one gift, okay? But definitely at least one. And so, uh, let's go back to verse 7, sorry. Grace was given to us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And I'm just going to blow through these next three verses. Therefore, he says, which is really interesting. I mean, you could hear this, but I'm not going to teach on it. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Keep going. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that 
he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. Now, he descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Like, wow, that's cool and deep. And I've got to skip somewhere because I'm going to talk for too long. And he himself gave some. So there's, there's two gifts here. He gave gifts to the church, every single one of you. Okay, And you can go throughout the New Testament and find all these places. You have gifts, supernatural or at least like God-ordained. Maybe it's in your biology, I don't know. But God has given you gifts that you're supposed to use in the church. Okay, And that's one of the problems with this model of church. If you're all in here, you're not using your gifts to do anything. Okay, But if you are part of the building... Your gift is where you sit in the building, okay? And so, but in addition to the gifts he gave to everyone, he's also given us the gift of certain offices in the church. And so he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Okay, now, when you read this verse, I would think, when I read this verse, I think, so apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, like I can think, okay, today there's like evangelists, you know, there's like Billy Graham in like the 70s, you know, big time evangelists and Greg Laurie, you know, he's an evangelist and various people, they're just really good at explaining the gospel in a way that just really makes sense to people, right? And then there's definitely pastors and teachers in the church, but prophets and apostles, do we have those still? And there's definitely a gift of prophecy, you know, and you can read like First Corinthians about that, like a prophetic word, you know. But like this, this office of being a prophet. And so one way you could, there's a few ways guys go with this. And I listen to different guys on this. One guy is kind of like, well, the apostle, the, the word apostle just means sent one. So today's apostles, you know, are sort of like missionaries. Okay, yeah. But, um, and then the prophet, the word prophecy can just mean like to speak for God. So it could almost be like, a different kind of, you have teachers of the Bible, and then you have prophets. And so, like, maybe I'm, like, teaching you the Bible, but then you have these guys who, like, it's much more of, like, a exhortation, you know. But I think, I, then I listen to, so, you know, maybe the, you know, I, I like this other guy, uh, 2.12 through, or 2.18 through 22, Ephesians. It said, for through keep going, uh, keep going. Next verse, sorry. Yeah, having been built, so he's talking about the church, and he says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And notice he doesn't say, he doesn't say having been built on the foundation of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. He only says apostles and prophets. And so I think, I think possibly, like, is it okay for God to like do something a little different 2,000 years later? You know, like, I think, based on this verse, I think that the office of apostle and the office of prophet maybe doesn't exist in the same way that it did when the church was first formed. Because it was sort of this foundational time in the church. They didn't have a New Testament yet, you know. And so these apostles were these really gifted men who were, like, all that Paul lived with Jesus and, like, they could get things right and keep things right as the church first got established, you know? And so, that's an interesting observation. I don't know. So, let's go back to uh, whatever verse that was, Apostles and Prophets. Verse 8, maybe? 11. Okay. 
no, let's go Ephesians 11. Yeah, so this is like, this, this verse is what I really want to talk to you about today. Okay, so he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So the pastors and teachers. So like, it's okay to question like, is it, are we doing things the right way in America? Like, I think that's a very good question to ask, you know? And like, I would say this isn't right, okay? I would say this is really unhealthy. And there's a lot of these in our country, you know? And it's like, it's all about Joel Olstein, you know? Joel Olstein's like this entire wooden piece right here. And everybody who's a, a four-pronged Lego is like, I can't do that, you know? And so... While there's some good things, I understand why it happened that there's these mega churches. You know, I would say like, when you, I mean, like if you ever go to a website of a mega church, you look at their staff, and it's like 30, 40, 50 people. And so here's what the here's what the Legos think when they see that. They think, okay, this is. I mean, this is even the language we use. What do we call Sunday morning? We call it a service, right? I don't know why we call it that. Okay, because like that's not what this is. I mean, you know, I don't know. Is a funeral called a service? Maybe it has another meaning in the English language. But like, church is not supposed to be all the Christians come and get served. That's not church. Okay, but that's this church. You know, they got seventy-five staff members. They got a staff member for every dumb thing you could think of, and they're all paid with the tithe. And so all this money comes into the church, and then they just create this giant paid organization and then they just serve themselves and they're just totally inward I'm, I'm sure there's some good things going on outward too but i think it's really good to have a church where like almost nobody is paid because it sets a tone that like hey this organization is run by its volunteers right and so like that's what this building is this whole building it's just a bunch of volunteers everywhere making up the building. But I don't think, and I thought about this for a while, I don't think that means no one is paid. Okay? And so some pastor teachers. Okay? Now this phrase in the Greek, I don't know Greek, listen to two different guys who are really far apart on things, and they both said this means pastor teachers. It's the same, like it's not and, it's like who are, that word, that Greek word. So some pastors who are teachers. Okay, so there is this role in the church for these people called the pastor teachers. Okay, and the word pastor is like a shepherd. Okay, and we understand the word teacher. We still have those today, right? And so pastor, they shepherd the flock and they teach the flock, right? So there is a place for that. And the Bible says a worker is worthy of his wages. Okay, like, and it's talking about paying the guy in charge. That's what it's talking about. And so it's normal and healthy and good that there are some people getting paid or a person getting paid. Like that's a nest, probably a necessary thing. Okay. But then I don't think, I don't think this model is healthy because it just teaches all the Legos. You don't do anything. We pay people to do things. You just come and get served. That's this model. Okay. But the, the right model, as we're going to see, is that you all contribute to the work. Okay. And, and maybe we raise up one guy who we really esteem highly that we can trust him, right? And we pay that guy because there's a hundred different little tasks that could accumulate into a whole job, right? Plus the whole, like, the one big task of teaching the word every Sunday. But 
this organization here is not supposed to be you guys show up and get served because you gave a tithe and this staff is, you know, paid to serve you. That is not how it's supposed to work. In fact, this is a radical idea I have. Okay, maybe I shouldn't say this. My wife, she's so nervous right now. Okay. We are, we are the richest Christians who have ever lived. I think that's probably true. Okay. We are the richest Christians who've ever lived. There was a time in the book of Acts when the church in Corinth, okay, if you've read first and second, first and second Corinthians, is that how you say that? Yeah. Uh, they were richer than the church in Jerusalem. And so Paul didn't, Paul didn't want to get paid. Because when you pay somebody, that, you know, people start expecting things. You know? And so Paul was like, I'm happy to make tents in my free time. He was a tent maker. And I'm doing this for free, so you can't call me out for anything. I'm here because I care about this message, not because I'm here for the money. Right? So Paul, instead, when they were tithing... He would take the money from the rich church in Corinth, who I'm sure were very poor compared to our standard today, and he would give the money to the church in Jerusalem. Okay? What if, what if our church, I mean, there are certain things, and, and we don't have time to get into all this. We have bills to pay. But what if our church could move toward, and we are moving toward, most of the money goes to the, the third world. Okay? Most of the money goes to the poor, persecuted Christians. You know, but here's the thing. If we keep growing, we're going to have this desire. Oh, we, need a, we need another staff member. We need a staff member here. We need a staff member there. And if, if that's the body, if that's how you guys act, me included, then we're going to have to do that because nobody wants to step up and serve, right? And I'm not saying you guys don't serve. Like, I was just looking at Clay up here today. And I, I don't know if Clay's in here. I hope he's not. Good. Is he in children's ministry too? He's up there. I don't know. Ah, oh, he's right there. Sorry, Clay. I'm going to embarrass you. Okay, like a year ago... Maybe two years ago, I like Clay went to our church. You know, I'd never really interacted with him that much. He's just this stallion of a man, works at Par Lumber. You know, now he's working somewhere else, I think. Um, but you know, Clay, he came in. This is what the this is this is Clay. He's a four. He's an eight pronged Lego. And look at this this church I made. Or actually, my kids made this. I don't know if I said that. I told my kids to make a temple. And look at this. This corner piece is gone. There's a hole in the temple. Okay, and Clay. Like a year ago, I don't know how, he got on the building committee, and here's Clay, and now Clay, you know, helped make the church and stuff, like remodel. But now Clay's serving in worship ministry, and I think there's like deacon stuff going on with Clay, and then Aaron's like starting a Bible study in their house, you know, and it, it spreads, you know? And it's like, that's what the church is supposed to be like. It's like, dude, dude, in February last year, Nobody worked harder than Clay. That guy was he, he had a full-time job. Okay, I was a teacher, and it snowed for like a week, and I didn't go to work, and it was great. Okay, but Clay, he went to work all day, and then he would come after work, and Aaron would come with their two young children, and they, he'd work till late at night getting stuff done around here because it had to get done because we got the floor and the carpet and all these things. And like, man, that's, that's like Jesus, you know? Jesus, like the model Jesus gave us, Right before he died. This is, I mean, it doesn't even matter if you're an atheist. You've got to respect Jesus. Because here's Jesus' model of leadership. Hey guys, I'm about to go get crucified. You know what I'd be doing if I was about to go get crucified? I'd be like, hey, can I get a back rub right now? I'm about to go get crucified. You know what Jesus does? 
He gets on his hands and knees and he washes people's dirty feet. You know? And like, he's a servant leader. There's nothing better than a servant leader. You know? And that's what the church is supposed to be made up of. All these wonderful little bricks, whether you're a two-pronged brick, brick or an eight, eight-pronged brick, brick. I can't say brick. And uh, you're supposed to fit in here and fill up all these gaps. You know, and maybe you see these holes. There's holes in here. I made my, my kids made this and I'm like, okay, now I want you to take a bunch of them out. And they're like, dad, what are you talking about? It's like, cause this, here's the thing. This, this is not with this church and probably any church is not that perfect body of Christ that it's supposed to be yet. There's holes. There's a hole there. And can you see the holes? I don't think you can see the holes. Look, my finger's in the hole. Okay. So there's holes. And you know what people do when they're the brick? There's this little brick over here. Oh, there's a hole in this church. I'm going to a new church. You're supposed to fill the hole. Be like clay. Fill the holes. And so as you get involved, as you get involved, you start getting more involved. Okay, now let's look at this. So there is a place. There is a place for this paid guy called the pastor teacher. Okay? Because that's a... Dude, I literally... Listened to messages yesterday for like 10 hours and then stayed up till like 10 o'clock writing all these notes. And then I woke up this morning and I'm like listening to more messages, writing notes, and it really still doesn't feel like enough. Okay? And so, like, there is a place for the guy who's gonna like exhort the whole body and the guy who's gonna like lead the whole body or the guys to, to have, you know, a wage and to like set apart their time for that. But there's a place for everybody to do stuff. Okay, and so check this out. And that's what this text says. This isn't just my cool idea. Okay, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers for the equipping of the saints. Now, that's the extent that this church goes to. Okay, there's pastors, there's teachers, there's 12,000 jobs at this church. We will serve you in every way. And then you come and you go in and then you come out and you go home for the week and then you come back. Okay, just give us your tithe and we'll keep this thing running. That's how the mega church operates. Okay. But we don't want to be that way. We want to be this way. Okay? And look, it doesn't stop there. There's like three levels to church. Okay? This is the first level. This is a good level. If you are already a Christian and you believe that you should go to church, that's really good. Okay? But that's step one and there's three steps. Okay? And your whole life, you've been living at step one. It's time to go to step two and three. Okay? So here's step two right here. For the equipping of the saints... For the work of the ministry. Now, maybe you don't know this. The word saint in the Catholic Church is like these big, important people who have really nice statues. You know? That is not the word saint in the New Testament. Okay? The word saint in the New Testament, if you read Paul, the word saint is just everybody who's a Christian. You're a saint. Okay? Saint Adam over here. Saint Clay. Oh, yeah. Saint Clay. We talked about him a lot today. Okay, no, everybody's a saint, okay? Like Paul literally in the book of 1 Corinthians, I think, he calls them saints and then he tells them, hey, stop letting this other saint, this other member of your church, sleep with his mother-in-law. It's like, wait, I thought they were saints. What? Everybody's a saint. That's the power of Jesus. He's, he's made your sins gone. You are perfect in God's sight, despite the fact that you're not perfect on this earth yet, Okay. Or at all, ever. But better. You're going to get better. So, equipping every person in the church for the work of ministry. You know what the service is? You know what the ministry is? It's not this. 
It's what, it's step two. This is step one. Come to church, hear the message, be equipped, be inspired, be reminded. But then, go do something with it, okay? Get into a house church, okay? There's signups out there. Get into a house church and exhort the other Christians in the house church every week, okay? Maybe your gift is making food, okay? There's a couple ladies in this church, man, they can make food. That is a gift, okay? But that's, that's not the end of it. And it's like we all have our gifts, and if we all use our gifts, it starts to turn into this beautiful thing that is the church. But this, this is just the beginning on Sunday morning, okay? And so you all get equipped through the teaching of the word, and then you go out and you do something for the edifying of the body of Christ. If you see, I remember there's a guy a couple years ago said, we're not loving people well. He calls the elders. I tell him, we're not loving people well. He's being one of those bricks who sees a hole. You know what? If you see somebody in the church who's not being loved well, you don't come and tell the pastor. I mean, you could tell him, but you go and you love that person well. That's the church. Okay? It's not, oh, they're paid. So they do the work and we just monitor their progress and make sure they do it right. That's not the church. Okay? You equip the saints and then they edify the body of Christ. That's amazing. That is this model. That's the problem with this model in America. You got 10,000 people or some crazy amount like that that go to Joel Osteen's church. I bet most of them don't do anything else. And they think they're like living the dream life. They're living their best life now. But the best life now is right here. You're supposed to be a part of the church like two to three, I would say two to three times a week. You should have church stuff going on in your life. Not just Sunday morning. It's not just go to church on Sunday, leave, do whatever I want all week. That is not what you're called to do as a Christian. Now there's no condemnation here. Okay, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying, I'm not saying like, you know, I'm so much better than you. Okay, I'm just saying like this is God's model for church. Okay, keep going. Till we all come to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure, and I already talked about this first. So if we do this, if after you're taught the word on Sunday morning, if you go to a home group, if you, you have a little Bible study with a few other moms in your house, if you, if you serve the church in some way, and not just like, you know, I mean, there's, there's good, it's so good just to serve and expect nothing in return. You know, like there's a bunch of trim in the hallway that's been there for a year and nobody's doing it. And that's okay because this building's just a building, you know. But like even, even just go and put the trim on for a month in your free time, you know. And like that's awesome, you know. But, but even more, it's supposed to be together. So don't do that by yourself. Get a couple other believers with you and do it together and talk to each other about your lives and the sin struggles that you have and pray for each other. That's the church. Okay, in addition to Sunday morning, get together with other believers during the week and encourage each other and edify each other and pray for each other. And now here's another reason why I'm going to take one of these little bricks off. Here's another reason why this little brick, you know, what was I going to say? I just totally forgot. I'm a little bit of a spaz sometimes, guys. I'm sorry. Um, Oh, this is another reason why this. If you're this, that's a bad model. Because here's the thing. If you don't have a job, like when you become a parent, like you grow up. You know what I'm saying? Like I remember Jessica when we had Eli. 
And we went home from the hospital. You know, when you're at the hospital, the nurses are there. They know how to take care of babies. Like, you're okay. You go home with an infant for the first time. There's some personal growth that's going to happen. <laughs> you know? And it's like, if you just think, if you just think, oh, I don't have to do anything. It's all done. Look, look at that nice building, you know? Oh, let's just put the cross on there. Look, it's a temple. It's so pretty, right? I don't fit in there, you know? But it's like, when you give somebody a job, your job, guys, your job, go back one verse. Your job is to do what? Look at this passage. It's to edify the body of Christ. That's your job. That's not Rory's job. Rory's job is to equip you, okay? But your job is to edify the body of Christ. And if, if you just think, I don't have a job, then you get, but dude, and, and me, like I, you know, I study the Bible and, you know, but when I have to teach today, dude, I'm listening to messages and messages and messages. I'm reading the words. I'm like, wait, what is that word? Equip me. What do you mean? I listened to the same message like three times yesterday. So I'm like, I gotta remember these details, you know? And it's like, if you took it seriously, that it's your job to edify your brothers in Christ in this room. If you took that seriously, your life would change. And maybe, and I'm not saying nobody's doing it, okay? I know lots of you guys are super involved in doing amazing things, okay? But like, if you really take your job serious, it changes your behavior, okay? And so, if you do this church, nobody thinks they even have a job. It doesn't work. But if you do this church and you're like, I gotta fit in here somewhere and help this thing, you're gonna, it's gonna change you in a good way. And so that's what he's saying. Paul's saying, the pastor teacher equips the saints. The saints get in each other's lives and edify each other. Okay, I don't know about you guys, but the most growth I ever had as a Christian was the first year I became a Christian. I was going to kind of the mega church, not really, but I mean, I was going to like 150 person college ministry on Tuesday nights. And it was powerful, and I was being fed the word of God, and that is so important. But then, a couple months after I became a Christian, I started going to a Bible study with like five other dudes who were in college who had just become Christians. And that was the most powerful, radical time of my life. Because the biggest sin struggles are the most personal sin struggles. And you're not going to get up on a Sunday in front of the whole church and be like, hey guys, I've got this major sin problem. Can you pray for me? You know, that, that would be strange. Okay? But if you're with two other guys and you're, and you're putting in trim in the building, you might, you might, and one of you is bold enough, and you should, say, hey, how are you doing? What are you struggling with? You know? And if you have that personal interaction with other believers weekly, it should be happening in your life every week. If you have that, you are going to grow and when they do it with you, you're going to be like, this is how Christianity is supposed to work. And you're going to do it with somebody else. And that's this beautiful, edified body of Christ. And the head of the body is Christ. He leads us. He speaks and we listen. But we are the body and we're supposed to be doing it. Okay. Um, what verse are we on? i got to shut it down. Um, Shh. Okay, let's go for 14. That we should know, and so here's the thing. Here's, here's the last thing. This is why this is another reason this is so important. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craft, craftiness of deceitful plotting. Okay, I don't know if you guys ever talked to Jehovah's Witnesses, but I just think it's so fun. 
And, I mean, the other, I mean, this was like in the summer. I had like a day off. I was probably supposed to do something on the house. And I was, happened to be at 7-Eleven because I have a diet soda addiction. And so it's like 9 a.m. Don't judge me. And, uh, and I see these, Jeho- the new thing the Jehovah's Witnesses are doing is they get these like funny like stands. And they just go stand there with their like Sunday best on in public. Like, we're going to win some converts today. Look at this sign. Look at this tie. I'm like, oh, I hope they just keep being so socially irrelevant because that's really going to kill them, right? Like, I really appreciate that. But I went over. I was like, I can't. I can't resist. I can't talk to them. So I'm just like, I just, I can't remember what I asked them, but I was just like, I'm just going to ask them. I think I was asking about sin and creation and like, because I think their little sign was about God being our creator, you know, and I teach biology. I'm just like, you guys don't have a clue what you're doing out there. And they didn't, you know, and I'm not trying to condemn, like, I mean, obviously condemn the heresy, right? But I like care about those people. But they're just, I mean, it's just like talking to a brick wall, like nothing. But their little pamphlets, the things they put on their little pamphlets drive me crazy. They're like, what does the Bible really teach about this or that, you know? And it's like, that is such a loaded question. Who's their audience? Who are they aiming at? They're aiming at Christians who go to this church, okay? Because they don't know anything. Because they go to Joel Osteen's church. Sorry, Joel Osteen, I'm just ripping him hard today. They go to Joel Osteen's church, so they're trying to have their best life now, you know? They don't know anything about what the Bible teaches, do they even open the Bible there? You know, it's just, oh, but they know how to use money God's way. Okay. And they know how to be a good dad. And those are great things. Don't get me wrong. Okay. That's who I just heard a statistic. The, the, um, 70% of the Jehovah's witnesses are former evangelical Christians or Catholics or, you know, it's just like, they're, they're just, they're just feeding on the sheep. That's all they're doing. That's why their, their little movement grows. And it's because people don't know their Bible and they get tossed around by every wind of doctrine. But if we are a church who like, has a, an hour of grit every Sunday where we like verse by verse study through the Bible, like you guys are probably tired at this point. You're like, okay, Johnny, it's great. No, but I want to go home now, right? It's like, well, let's go another 10 minutes, huh? It's like, if you have that grit and you're like, you know what? Christianity is important. I can, I can suffer a little more today. You know, if you have that grit and you study verse by verse, and then step two, you meet with other believers every week. And then step three, you actually, so here's where I've been lately. So I go to step two, house church. And then I'm like, I don't know what to do with all these people. They're already saved, you know? And then we just eat food and hang out. And that's great. You know what step three is, guys? Challenging each other when you're together. Not just, not just talking about the weather. Oh, yeah, it snowed. Yeah, huh, Joe? Yeah, that's weird. That's sometimes what our house churches are like, you know? But our house churches are supposed to be like, hey, brother, how you doing? You know what I'm talking about. Okay, like that, get personal. When you get three on, you know, just three guys together, five guys together, get personal. That's step three. And start edifying each other and building each other up. And when your brother's like, hey, these really nice Christians came to my door and they gave me this pamphlet. And it's like, what does the Bible really teach about the Trinity? And you're like, okay, brother, it's time for us to open our Bible because those were Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay? And like, you're not going to be a baby forever. We're not going to have you getting tossed to and fro forever. Like, that's how the church is supposed to function. 
Okay? Um, all right. Uh, or do we have a 15 or do we stop at 14? I think we went to 16. 15. But speaking the truth in love, okay? And when you talk to each other, and I'm just looking at my wife's expression right now, and I'm like, am I not speaking the truth in love today? Like, you, you know, like when your brother has this Jehovah's Witness pamphlet, you know, you want to be like, hey, brother, rip. Here's, what, here's why you're wrong, and I love you. You know, like do it in a nice way, right? We, but as we do this as a church, we grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, in verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. I mean, this, you just, it's just beautiful. It's supposed to be this beautiful growing where instead of like, instead of like 20% of the church does everything, it's like 80% of the church does everything. You know, like this is kind of the statistic that like 20% of the church is going to be involved. You know, it's like that's not God's design. We're all supposed to be involved and, and doing stuff. And when, when we actually do that, um, you know, as every part does its share, it causes growth of the body and there's this edifying and love. Okay, and so um, as I shut her down, let's have the worship team come back up. Um, I want you, I want to do something a little strange. I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. Take the mega church back. Just slam on it. Um, there's Legos in the mega church. Uh, I want to do this. I, I, I remember at church this happened one time, and I thought, that's so strange. But I just thought, hey, let's try it. So, um, thanks. Okay. Uh, I want you to, we're going to pray, and I want you to close your eyes. Because I really believe that every one of you has a gift, and many gifts. But I think some of you are um, not using it. You know, you're not, you just don't know where you fit. You know, and so, like, I, I could imagine, like, ministries, not just within the church, but also reaching out, you know. Like, like I, I'm just going to spit off some random ideas that are probably not from the Lord, okay. Like, maybe we would have a firewood ministry, you know. Where you're a guy and you're like, I, all I do is go out in the forest and kill animals. How can I possibly help this church? You know, it's like, maybe you should go out in the, and I, I don't know if you could use hunting some, somehow to minister to the body. Or you could, you could go cut firewood and like, maybe you and a couple of brothers, you, you cut firewood and you go give it to people who need it, you know? Um, you know, like, another, another, I mean, I didn't even get into this. How, how far over am I? Uh... Like, I think for me, personally, the, the, the biggest problem for me lately, especially a couple of years ago, like, Eli, my son, you know, I have four, five kids. Eli, I love basketball. I used to coach middle school basketball. And um, Eli's pretty good at basketball, and all my kids are pretty good at basketball. Or they're good little athletes. And so we got into this thing called Kobo. And maybe you've heard of it. And it's like the Central Oregon Basketball, Competitive Basketball League. And, and then we found out afterward, oh, half of the games are on Sundays. You know, and I think, like, so just speaking from my own experience, so we did that, you know, like, we missed four or five Sundays one year because we went to these stupid basketball games, you know? And it's like, part of the reason I think that the church has a bunch of holes in it is because we've we got our priorities screwed up, you know? 
and I mean, I'm going to pick on sports because I, I like sports. And so what I did with Eli and my family is a couple, two, three years ago, I just said, you know what? We're just not going to do basketball. And so, and that was a hard decision because I really like basketball. You know, and I, I'm not saying we don't do sports. Like we do, I run the soccer, part of the reason I took over the soccer program is so nobody ever tries to put soccer on a Sunday. You know, <laughs> like, right? Like we need Christians in the world talking sense into people. And, you know, we do some, some stuff in the spring, track and tennis and stuff. But, like, there's a lot of, like, and most of you who have kids are probably younger than me. And, like, don't fall into the trap that your kids need to play sports year-round. Okay? Like, they don't. They're not going to get a scholarship. And if they do, you probably would have been able to save more money by not driving them all over the state. You know? You could give them their own scholarship. Just save the money. Okay? Like, we got our priorities out of whack. You know? I mean, for me, I, I could touch, I'm, I probably shouldn't go there, hunting, guys, I don't hunt, but I'm trying, next year I might, but like, it's okay to hunt, I'm not saying hunting's sin, but hunting could be a real idol in your life, sports could be a real idol in your life, okay, I wrote a few more things down, um, you know, you know, maybe you're retired, my dad is not a Christian, this is how the world lives, my dad wakes up in the morning, he plays free cell, which is a computer game, and then he does this gene- genealogy stuff for like hours, and he's so into it, and he found out somebody was having an affair like 300 years ago in our family, and it was cool. But like he pours his life into genealogy. Like what are you pouring your life into? You know, like is it some, something involving your retirement? You know, is it, is it um, just materialism? Like this is, this is the more per- pressing one for me right now. It's like, you know, materialism like we think i make more money than i've ever made and somehow i still don't have enough money like what is that where are my priorities you know and um also like your friends like you are supposed christian you are supposed to be with your brothers in christ on a weekly basis i think that's fair to say that okay if you're a christian and your best friends are not christians what are you doing you are going to become like the people you hang out with Okay, whether you hang out with your brothers in Christ and become more like Christ, or you hang out with the world and become more like the world. Now, there's a place to be with the world. Some, you know, like rub. That's another reason I'm in this soccer program. I'm like, I'm rubbing elbows with people and I'm inviting people to church, and you know. But there, dude, you gotta have some time with your brothers in Christ. And so, like, as you, as I'm calling you guys, myself included, to be the church and to get in and fill the holes. Like, there's, there may be, you might be like, I'm just too busy. Well, if you're too busy, you, you probably need to clear up your schedule. And I'm like saying that, and I'm just, it hits me right in the forehead. Because I'm too busy lately, too. And I need to realize, like, there's some stuff that needs to go. And sometimes we make commitments, and we're kind of stuck in a situation for a while, and that's understandable. But, like, the Christian, like Christianity is, like, if you're a follower of Jesus, if your allegiance is to Jesus, like, he should be your top priority. Okay, And it's not like, oh, family and then Jesus. Like, no, Jesus tells you how to do family. You know, like Jesus is your king. Kanye's new album. Anybody? No? (laughs) Jesus is your king. He's right, though. Kanye's not wrong about that. Jesus is king. Okay? And he should be your king. And he should get to tell you what's most important. And I get excited about things and I overcommit to stuff. But, like, it's time to scale it back. Be the church. If you don't have time to be in a core group or a home group, if you don't have time to meet with other Christians, you know, once a week, like, it's time to scale some things back because your priorities are out of whack. 
So, all that being said, you can come up and hit me later if you don't agree with me. Uh, I wanted to, I just wanted to, let's pray, but I'm just going to be silent for a second. I want you to ask the Lord, I just had one more, I want you to ask the Lord, like, what is it, you know, like, what's our church going to look like if 80% or 100% of the people in the church make the church their, not the church, but like ministry and serving Jesus? What if 100% of us made that our priority? What would the church look like? What kind of ministries would be birthed, you know? Like, what kind of service would go on? What kind of edifying would go on in the church? And so, I want you to pray, and I want you to just, I want you to go before the Lord right now, and I want you to just ask the Lord, and actually believe he might tell you. Like, really, he might actually tell you what it is that he wants you to do with your time. And maybe, maybe many of you, are just doing it. You're already there. Okay. But like, I imagine at least some of us aren't, you know, and like, let's go before the Lord right now and just ask him, Lord, what do you want me to spend my time on for your kingdom, for your church? Okay. Let's just ask him that. And let's just be quiet for a second. And, and he might speak to you. Okay. And so God, just God, I just pray that anything I said today that is just not of you and just of me, Lord, just, just let him forget that. But God, just um, just want to see our church be healthy and right in the way that it operates here in Primeville. And so, Lord, as we just, just I'm going to open my hands, Lord, before you and just, Lord, would you speak to us today? What would you have for each member of this body? What ministry, what, what act of, equi- of edification would you have every member of this body be involved in? 